Welcome into the Scout and the Sports page. It's a beautiful Wednesday afternoon, and uh, my my guy Gary is in uh, San Diego, as per usual, and I'm thinking that it's probably a beautiful cloudless day because that is what it is every day in San Diego. It is. It is. We don't even have any morning overcast, you know, this week, Paige. It's just, it, it's gorgeous. I'll tell you what, anybody that can live here should live here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's it's getting to that point of the year where living in Phoenix is the greatest because it's absolutely gorgeous, nice and chill, a little chilly in the morning, about 60 and gets to be about 85 during the day. So I think most of the people listening to the podcast are probably pretty jealous of us, Gary. So that's that. that we, we got that going for be. us. They should be, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we got that going for us. But we're going to go quickly through the observations because we had some technical difficulties and didn't get to it on Monday. So we'll cruise through those, and then we'll get into our usual Wednesday suspect, and that is the top four matchups of the weekend and just looking at some of the best of the best that's coming in. And, and I think overall coming into this week, we know a little bit more about what all of these teams are, even though it was a crazy but phenomenal week three of football. So, Gary, let's kick things off. What, what were your some of your observations from, from week three? Well, right off the top, I would say I'm as confused as, as I have ever been, Paige. Uh, <laughs> good teams lost to underachieving team or uh, overachieving teams. Bad teams play better than I thought. So I think it's, it's really difficult to say where we are in the NFL right now. But my first point, I thought last Thursday's game between the Rams and the 49er, 49ers was as entertaining maybe as we've seen all year. Now, I know they're not great teams, so they're facing each other, obviously. But it was a well-played game. Both offenses showed some life. I thought they were well-coached. Uh, you know, the play calling was creative. And I came away feeling, hey, there's some hope for both of these teams, probably more for the Rams than the 49ers. But I think both teams are trending in the, the right direction. And if I was a fan, I would feel really good about what I thought and saw on Thursday night. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think I was tweeting throughout the whole game, and I said this is probably the most entertaining Thursday night football game I can recall. I just – it was uh, both teams. We saw a lot from both teams. Uh, Jared Goff looked, I mean, under Sean McVay, I think this offense is going to be very interesting. Todd Gurley looks completely revitalized in that offense, which I'm, I'm happy for him because I think he's such a talented back uh, to now have an offensive-minded coach to really feature him in the way that he needs to be is really, really fun to watch. Um, so I think overall I, I really enjoyed watching the football game. I'm all about the points. You know, I love the offense. Give me all the touchdowns. I love I love watching that. Unless unless you're going to play an, an unbelievably crazy good defensive game, which I haven't I haven't really seen all that much lately, uh, give me all the points. I love, I love watching a good touchdown-touchdown matchup. No, and you can see these are creative, offensive mind coaches, and I think that's going to serve them well in in the future. But my my second observation, you know, are the Ravens as bad as they looked in London? I mean, this is a team page that's usually well prepared. Uh, they don't beat themselves, but again, at London against Jacksonville, they looked like they didn't even want to play. I mean, the offensive line is a mess. Uh, defensively, they did not play very well. Right now, all they are is a dink and dunk passing attack that doesn't threaten anybody. And it, it appears to me when they don't have a strong defensive day and when they can't run the football, they have no chance to win. But I, I was just shocked 
that a John Harbaugh team played as poorly as they did. Yeah, it didn't look like they showed up to play football, uh, but it certainly looked like the Jacksonville Jaguars were there to play football, and they sure took advantage of that situation, and as they should. They, sh- they played their hearts out. They played very hard, and it was very very disheartening to see a John Harbaugh-led team look like they did not care, and that's kind of what you saw on the field. And I don't know, the travel or whatever it was, they just did not show up for that football game. I don't anticipate that that's going to be a long-term thing. No, no, I I don't think so either, but they'll have a challenge getting things back. Uh, Another point, I thought the Bills and the Jets played well, Mm -hmm. and I came away with the feeling that neither one of these teams are tanking like a lot of people thought they would at the beginning of the season. Uh, You know, they didn't get the memo to to quit playing and go for the number one draft choice because they played hard, uh, they played with enthusiasm, and you know what, they beat two teams that on paper they shouldn't have been able to, Miami uh, and the Denver Broncos. And so, uh, you know, they looked like, their quarterbacks looked like real guys, you know, <laughs> Tyrod, uh, Tyrod Taylor and Josh McCown. So I think, again, if you're a Bills and a Jets fan, you're not going to win a lot of games. You have to be happy that your guys are playing hard and at least trying to give you a good product on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really hard to imagine NFL guys because a lot of those guys are going to fight for jobs. They might not be on the Jets or the Bills next year, and they got to show something. So to tell a guy who's fighting for for his life, I mean, for, for money, for his life, I mean, this is his job. So I find it very hard to believe that, that any grown men are just going to tank because it's very hard as an athlete to tell people to not try very hard. That's just not not in your blood when you are when you're that level of elite status in the NFL. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So I've never bought into the tanking thing uh, just from the very beginning because you can't tell a bunch of grown men to to not try. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely agree. Uh, a, a big point for me in watching the film is Carolina must figure out a way to fix Cam Newton. This offense looks totally out of sync. Uh, he, he played poorly against a New Orleans pass defense that doesn't stop anybody uh, You know, last week. He just looks uncomfortable in the pocket. Now, I've heard that he's not practicing a lot during the week because they're trying to bring him along slowly with that shoulder. But the lack of practice time, sure, to me, it looks like it's showing up you know, on, on Sundays. And what really bothers me He's throwing a lot of interceptions, and a lot of them are coming, you know, when guy when he's not pressured. It's not like he's he's throwing picks versus the blitz. I mean, he sees a four-man rush, and he just makes bad decisions. And with all the weapons that he has on offense, even without Greg Olson, he just doesn't look good. And I'm beginning to wonder if this is a a season-long problem or if he'll come out of his funk. Yeah, I I have been worried about Cam since the beginning of this year just because we didn't see him throw a pass in preseason, basically, and I think that shoulder injury is much more serious than they let on, and he can't run because of his shoulder injury. He's not being able to facilitate the type of plays that we've usually seen from Cam Newton, so this is a big problem for them, uh, and I, I'll be interested to see how, how they transition here with Cam and get him healthy. Yeah, no, no question. How about this one, Paige? Tom Brady and Deshaun Watson. uh, Deshaun Watson put on a show in New England, and I thought, you know, hey, we're looking at the present of the NFL and maybe the future in one game. You know, Brady obviously was 
terrific uh, versus a good Houston defense. But I thought Watson looked like he could be just as good on a big stage. He played, uh, I think, with composure. Uh, his deep ball is improving. He can make plays with his with his feet. And I think he's a guy that they can really build around. And I, offensively, I love that game because you had two guys making plays. One guy's done it forever. The other guy is just starting to. But I thought it was a really a nice look at what the future of this league looks like. Yeah, and I think what no better person than a, a, a kid like Deshaun Watson, who's just a overall just a great a great person, a great leader, uh, is a is a great face for the NFL going forward. And I th- I have I have high hopes for him um, in Houston and what that what that kid can do uh, as he continues to grow. And, and reminds me a lot of Marcus Mariota and his demeanor and and what a good kid he is. Yeah, and it's it's good for him that he had a chance to witness the greatness of Tom Brady, too. Yeah, it's good for everybody. Uh, We should all appreciate Tom Brady. No, you're exactly right. I I worry about the Giants, Paige. I thought last week's loss was a crushing blow to them. I don't know how they come back. I mean, I know they had that great late, you know, 24 points to get close to the Eagles, but the way they lost it on a ridiculous field goal, you know, I think has to really have them – questioning themselves and I don't think their problems are going to go away they have no vertical passing game Uh, their offensive line is awful Eli is not playing very well and because of their offensive line they're a dink and dunk offense right now he got the ball out in 1.86 seconds you know last week that shows you how bad their his pass protection is and he looks shaky and I just I think with the exception of Odell Beckham you know, making yards after the catch. I just don't see how this offense is going to be able to carry him, and they're wasting uh, what can be a, a really good defense. So I think they're in a real funk, and I don't know if they can come out of it. No, I don't think they can. I think it's it's when you go 0-3, the stats against playoff teams, when you're 0-2, it's only 10% of teams come back and make the playoffs there. And I just I think their offensive line is just so bad that they're not going to be able to overcome that. I, I don't think Eli – at this late stage for him as many years as he's been playing in the NFL, he just he's never been a guy that can scramble and get out of the pocket and make plays with his feet. So they just they don't have what it takes offensively to keep up with teams because Eli Manning can't stay upright and that offensive line is just very, very bad. No, I, I absolutely agree, but it'll be interesting to watch him this week. Uh, another thing that I loved on Sunday was Case Keenum at Minnesota and Jacoby Brissett at Indianapolis. Both of these guys played like they belonged in this league. I mean, they had nice passing days. They looked like they were in command of the offense. Uh, They spread the ball around to their receivers, and they just didn't look like backup quarterbacks with virtually no experience. And I think both teams right now have to feel good with them running the offense until Andrew Luck and Sam Bradford get get back from injury. Yeah, absolutely. Jacoby Brissett, especially considering the fact that he was only with the team for like four days before he played the Cardinals pretty well. And Case Keenum, what he did when, when you consider the team that Tampa Bay is, I think you're, you're set up for success there uh, with those guys. You feel pretty comfortable, especially hearing that Andrew Luck might be back here sooner rather than later. Um, the next point I have 
for you because I know what's coming up. So I'm I'm pre- hesitating. I'm I'm getting so excited about what I saw from the Bears because let's talk about th- this team should be two and one. They should be two and one. They should have won that game against Atlanta. And my oh my, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I can barely contain myself, Gary. No, you're absolutely right. And and I tell you, Jordan Howard and uh, uh, Tariq Cohen, 216 yards. That's great, but what I loved, it was on 35 carries, and that shows me that John Fox has figured out, I don't have a quarterback right now that can win a game. My pass offense is dink and dunk and check downs, so you know what? I'm going to rely on an improving defense and a power run game that controls the clock, keeps the other quarterback off the field, and I agree with the pace right now. It looks like it may be uh, you know, a, a scheme and a philosophy, you know, that could work. Uh, the other thing is, I don't think n- neither or nobody really sees these guys as th- these two backs as outlet receivers, but they had nine receptions between the two of them, and that's an easy pass for a quarterback to complete. So I think you should feel pretty good about your Bears. Again, they're a team that's probably not going to win a lot of games. But I think they're showing improvement, and they seem to have a better feel of who they are. Yeah, I think they're moving towards the fact that their offensive line, especially when you consider the play around the league, is 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 above average. Their their line looks good. Uh, the running game looks looks phenomenal. And what do you do in Chicago? You run the football and you play defense, and that's what they did. And I think if they can they can find themselves in these close games, you know, you get a couple more pieces on defense and maybe Trubisky comes along, maybe they can get back to the type of football that likes to be that we like to watch in Chicago. I'm not, I'm not overboard yet, but I'm sure sure happy that they beat a Pittsburgh Steelers team that's very talented. Absolutely. And, you know, at least it holds off the Mitchell Trubisky watch for maybe another week. <laughs> yeah, the, tr- uh, although, the Trubisky train. Mike Glennon is certainly not the reason they're winning. No, Mike Glennon, they're winning despite Mike Glennon. Uh, I think yeah. it, it's at this point you can I, – I've wanted to hold off, but when I now that I've seen that they can compete, I almost want to see what Trubisky can give you because he's just a much more athletic guy, and I think he would serve – that team much much better because he can roll out and make plays on him with his feet he's super athletic he's got a big arm but maybe let's see if he can get some of those wide receivers healthy before they bring him back well and, and he may start actually in their next game because you know with the thursday night game he'll have 10 days to prepare so that might be when we see him yeah that would be interesting if they if they beat green bay which is a big if but if they beat green bay it'll be interesting to see what they do in the next game it will. My my other point here is, and we talk about it too much. What is wrong with Seattle? Are they still an elite team? Uh, I know Russell Wilson's playing great, but he's he's doing everything almost on his on his own. He has no run game. He has Doug Baldwin and little else. He's, he has to scramble on every play, and now their once elite run defense has had two bad games in a row. And I just don't think you can expect Wilson to make these circus acrobatic plays every week and bail you out. And I'm starting to think that that their fixes maybe are a little bigger than we thought, and maybe their window is starting to close. What's your opinion? Yeah, that's my opinion. I think this offensive line is bad. Um, Their defense is older than it has been, and you're just – 
you this team lost its identity the second Marshawn Lynch wasn't in Seattle, and that's the that is the thing that nobody has come to terms with. They keep they keep thinking this is the Seattle team of two three years ago, and the main difference here is that there's no Marshawn Lynch, and the reason that Russell Wilson was able to make the plays he was is because every team defensively had to respect the fact that they had Marshawn Lynch in the backfield and he was an explosive back that could make plays and they don't have that guy and they don't have a good offensive line the running game is really bad and that sets them up for for not having success you see them some turmoil they were getting into fights on the on the field Richard Sherman's making dirty plays right off the bat I mean you can tell just overall, that team is just not the same that it was. I've been saying it for a year and a half. I just The second that Marshawn Lynch left, that team lost its identity. It lost its swagger, and their offensive line is just not good enough. They might win this division because I don't know what this division is. Arizona can't figure itself out. Uh, do I trust the Rams to stay good? No. Um, and the Niners are not a good enough football team. So they might end up winning this division at 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, but are they an elite football team? No chance. No, and that, to be honest, that brings me to my last point. Are we really overrating some teams that we put in the elite category? And I won't go into this at length, but the level I saw last week was a little better than the than the first two weeks of the season. But I saw eight teams, Paige, lose games against what I thought were inferior opponents, and I'm beginning to wonder if this is a nine and seven or an eight and eight league. And parity is just all part of it. I mean, Baltimore, they lose. Denver loses. Tampa Bay loses. Miami loses to the Jets. Seattle loses. Pittsburgh loses to the Bears. Carolina blown out, you know, by by New Orleans. Oakland getting embarrassed to Washington. I mean, to me, those were eight teams that should have recorded a win. They didn't. And as I look around now, I just don't see any super teams and. And I think we're, you know, if you like parity, this is your year, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the difference is that there's about New England and Kansas City might be the only teams that win more than 12 games. I, I think that Kansas City could win 12 football games, and I think New England will win 12 or 13 football games. Uh, and, and that's it. I, I, I just don't see those other teams. The divisions are too close, and people overrate the fact that in the NFL, the difference between the worst team and the best team is so much closer than you think. And I, uh, other than Andy Reid's football team, Bill Belichick's football team, I'm really not impressed with anybody. And we all know who won that first matchup. So, uh, I mean, I want those two teams in the AFC Championship game now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it. But we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll get into our four matchups, our elite matchups of the week. Very excited. Lots of good football for week four. Welcome back to the Scout in the Sports page. I'm Paige Demacos here with Gary Horton, and we are getting into our four key matchups of the week. Let's kick things off with two two and one teams. It's the Carolina Panthers on the road at New England. What do you like about this game, and what are your keys to the game? Uh, I know I got my thoughts on what Cam Newton needs to do. Well, I, I'm concerned about Carolina, and I don't think th- this couple weeks ago would have looked like a actually even a better game. Uh, but New England played great last week. Carolina didn't. As we've already mentioned, Paige, I, I worry about Cam Newton and their offense. They just look, you know, out of sync to me. And the Patriots look like they're starting to, to get their swagger back. Maybe not on defense, but certainly 
on offense. The keys to the game for me is, number one, can the Patriots take away Cam's deep ball? Now, I know that Carolina wants to change their offense. They want to throw more short passes and, and come, you know, depend on yards after catch. But Cam's game has always been his vertical throw. That's what he does best. And when you see him throw the short ball, and this is a huge concern of mine, his accuracy is off. He doesn't have great timing with, with his receivers. And a guy like McCaffrey, his rookie back, he's going to make his living on short passes. But Cam is really uh, poor on his accuracy when he's making those underneath throws. Number two, can Tom Brady attack Carolina with his underneath passing game? Now, he's going to see from the Panthers a lot of cover three zones, keeping everything in front of him. And he'll watch the film this week, and he'll see that Drew Brees absolutely destroyed the Carolina defense last week with his short to intermediate passing game. He threw under their coverage, and he just nickel diamond to death. I think Brady will do the same thing. And really, with the exception of deep balls to Brandon Cooks, that is what the New England passing game is all about. And then number three, will the Patriots pass defense full cam with all of their looks? Even though they're not playing great right now, they'll give you a lot of different uh, schemes that they roll out to you. They have a dime package, six defensive backs. They'll go a big nickel look, you know, five DBs, three safeties, two corners. They even have a 5-2 and a 34 look that's more physical when they play strong run games. And I just don't think that Cam does a great job at the line of scrimmage of reading the defense and making the adjustments. And I think that that, that could be an advantage for New England. Yeah, I, I don't see New England winning, or I don't see Carolina winning this football game uh, more so because of Cam's injury. I just don't think he, like you said, back to his accuracy. I think a lot of the accuracy issues there have to do with the injury. When your shoulder's injured, you can't throw accurate passes. And I'm just not convinced, uh, although I do like their defense a lot, I think I think a lot of what happened last week with New Orleans is going to happen this week um, because I think Brady is just going to have, have a feast fest on because uh, we know he puts he puts all the effort into the film and, and he'll be able to pick up on those things that Drew Brees had last week. But let's talk about the key matchup here, Brandon Cooks versus the Carolina Corners. Uh, Brandon Cooks finally getting involved in the offense in the way that I anticipated him being involved in. Last week, he catches two touchdowns, looked like the guy there. Do you anticipate him having that kind of a game against the Carolina cornerbacks this week? Yeah, but he may do it a little differently, Paige. Uh, if they play that cover three and take away the vertical ball, and I think they'll show man pre-snap, but then they may drop into that cover three because I don't think they're great man turn and run corners. I think what they'll do then is bring Cooks on a lot of crossing routes underneath, and that's where New England is so good on their pick plays. They'll rub out defenders with those crossing routes. And so I think Cooks could have a big game, but it may not be off of vertical passes. It may be more uh, Odell Beckham looking, you know, slants, crossing routes, and yards after catch. So I think that's something to watch. Uh, and certainly Cooks is becoming a big part of this uh, offense. Yeah, which I was excited for. Really glad to watch it. The X Factor in this game, I love 
Carolina running back Christian McCaffrey. I think that you're spot on with your analysis there. Just the fact that McCaffrey, we saw him last week get more involved in the offense as a fantasy football owner with McCaffrey. That's what I was looking for production-wise. So I think he he definitely brings something to the table just as far as what his skill set is that makes him the X factor this week. Yeah, and and you have to love how they use him. He'll line up wide. He can be in the slot. He'll line up out of the backfield. He'll run some zone read. Uh, I mean, if Cam was healthy and could run the football, can you imagine how good they would be in the zone read with McCaffrey and Cam? Oh, yeah. But, you know, we don't know that yet. Yeah, he's not healthy. He can also take a direct snap, and he's always moving around the formation to find the right matchup. So this guy is the real deal. They just have to make sure they don't overwork him. Yeah, I think we're going to learn more about McCaffrey next year after Cam Newton hopefully allows himself to get healthy. I just think that injury is really nagging him. But let's finish here with the fantasy football sleeper. Give me your sleeper this week. Uh, I know who it is, and uh, I completely agree. Yeah, it's Chris Hogan, and he made some big plays last week. Now, again, versus busted coverages by Houston, you know, four receptions uh, for 68 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, But he's a guy that's really good at working in the middle of the field. And with Cooks drawing so much attention outside, he can have a lot of good, uh, I think, slot production. And if Carolina stays in their cover three, then he's going to have a lot of room to work underneath. And he could be a guy that could come up big versus Carolina. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think this is who I thought Chris Hogan was going to be in this offense, so I'm excited to see him. Uh, This is going to be great to watch that matchup for fantasy owners. Now, second matchup, Pittsburgh coming off a loss against uh, my Chicago Bears. They're going on the road against Baltimore. Baltimore is going to be very hungry. We all know Pittsburgh does not play the same on the road as seen in Chicago, and Baltimore is a tough place to play. So I think this is going to be a very interesting game. Give me quickly your keys to the game. Well, and I, I think, first of all, we don't know what to expect from these two teams. As we we talked earlier about surprises, neither one of them looked ready to play in, in week three. Uh, but I will say my keys to the game, which defense creates turnovers? Now, Baltimore had zero turnovers last week versus Jacksonville, but they have ten takeaways, you know, for the season, and that's who they are. When they can turn the ball over, and give the ball back to their offense, that's when they're most effective. The Steelers have only four takeaways, and they're concerned uh, about their lack of making big plays, and that's a point of emphasis for them. They want to be that, but they haven't done it. And I think in a game that could be low scoring, uh, getting the ball back, making those big plays on defense could be critical. My second, uh, I think, key to this game can Pittsburgh force Baltimore from play to play from behind? I think the early Steeler game plan and how they script their plays will be very important because you and I both know Baltimore has no ability to scrap the run and go to a passing game and, and try to score to get back uh, into a contest. So if Big Ben has success early, they grab a lead and force Joe Flacco to make plays in the passing game. I think that Baltimore has no chance. Berg is in great shape. And then my third key, where are the Pittsburgh big plays? <laughs> I mean, we yeah. keep waiting for this offense to show up. The, the Le'Veon Bell run game is out of sync. 
their deep passing game, which often is successful off of play action, is not there. And right now, they look like an offense that kind of depends on Antonio Brown short passes and making a bunch of yards after the catch on slants and crossing routes. So that's a big deal to me. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I think uh, especially when you're talking about these two teams and, and Baltimore and what they can do uh, defensively. And, and when you talk about Pittsburgh, where, like you said, where is Le'Veon Bell? Uh, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact he did not play in the preseason at all. And he's just, this offense has not gotten going. That being said, at any moment in time, this offense can get going, which leads us into our key matchup. One of the best guys to pay attention to in the league, Antonio Brown, playing against the Baltimore Corners. I do like Baltimore's defense overall, but nobody can stop Antonio Brown, and he sure is a lot of fun to watch. Oh, he is. And the only defensive back that showed up last week uh, in London versus Jacksonville was Jimmy Smith. He played pretty well, but the rest of them were just awful. And now they've got to face what I, who I think is the best receiver in the NFL you know, Brown's coming off 10 receptions, 110 yards last week. And he has become the master at crossing routes off of, off of their pick plays. They love to do that, much like New England. And that is where I think he'll have a lot of success. And they'll move him all over the formation to get the right matchup. And I just don't think that any Baltimore DB matches up well. So they may have to go to some combo coverages. Absolutely. I love the X factor here. I'm waiting on him. Fantasy owners are waiting on him. Where are you, Le'Veon Bell? Is this the week he breaks out? Yeah, and, and you, I hate to make him an X factor because he's usually a lot more than that, but he hasn't been. I think Pittsburgh may roll out more of their heavy packages page, you know, maybe an extra lineman, two tight ends, maybe a fullback to get a better push up, up front and get this run game going. Uh, you know, Baltimore has now has been a good run defense. They weren't very good last week versus Jacksonville, but for the most part, they've been solid versus the run. The other thing I think Pittsburgh will do with those heavy packages is they'll go to their traps and their wham blocks. They'll bring a tight end across the formation. And so I think that Baltimore has a very aggressive front seven. They've got to make sure they're not caught out of position and they're aware of those traps and wham blocks absolutely all right let's get into the fantasy football sleeper this week my one of my favorite names in football juju smith schuster what do you what makes him your sleeper this week well for one thing they have a package now with four wide receivers and he has been that fourth guy and that's giving him a few more snaps but now i am hearing and i've talked to some people that have confirmed this that he's actually moved ahead of their slot receiver, Eli Rogers, which means if he's now playing in their three wide receiver sets, which is really their, their favorite formation, he is going to get a lot of looks. And I think that that's going to help his production. And keep in mind, in this offense, he's going to be covered by a third or fourth corner. And this looks like a battle that he can win. So he may be a guy that's coming on a little bit. Yeah, I love that. I'm definitely definitely going to use that on the fantasy football show that I host on Sunday mornings because I think that's some that's some good intel on my boy Juju Smith because I, I love hearing – I love getting the, the little tidbits from Gary that helped me out for the fantasy football show. Uh, the, third, the third matchup, 
The Oakland Raiders and the Denver Broncos, both teams lay an egg. They both go to the old East Coast and have a tough time, and that seems to be a theme for West Coast teams. Both 2-1 and one teams, both very good football teams, but Oakland is visiting Denver, and my oh my, does that not look like the biggest home field advantage in football as of lately. So what are your keys to the game here? Because both quarterbacks did not play well in Week 3. No, and here we go again. We're in Week 4. And all of a sudden, we're questioning, who are these teams? You know, my first key page is both quarterbacks have to have a, a, a rebound game. Derek Carr, but the guy I saw versus Washington was awful. I mean, I know he had some drop passes. That's a real problem uh, in their passing game. But he was 0 for 11 on third down. And that's not an elite Washington defense. 118 passing yards. It just looked awful, and I hope that's a one-game aberration. Trevor Simeon was bad versus, again, a mediocre Buffalo pass defense. Uh, you know, two big interceptions, and he just didn't look like the same guy that we saw early in the season. I think also, both my second point, both quarterbacks should stick with the passing game. You know, these defenses give up a lot of passes inside, and I think that's where they can attack between the hashes. You know, it would be really helpful if they could establish an early run game and force the defenses to put an extra defender in the box to open up the middle of the field, and, and that would help their play-action package to work. But I think that both of these guys can have success down the seams. My third point can both of these teams bounce back? It looked to me like neither team was well-prepared uh, last week. The game plans, I thought, lacked creativity. And maybe most importantly, it looked like their in-game adjustments just weren't very good and they didn't have any results. And one thing I've noticed, it seems like when these two teams play from behind, they seem to press a little bit and they don't play with a lot of confidence. I know it's early in the season, but I think, you know, that's got to be a factor. And, and one of these teams is going to bounce back, and the other one's going to still question themselves at the end of this game. Yeah, absolutely. I love the matchup here. I'm always paying attention to what Von Miller's doing. He's just such a fun guy to watch on film. And he's going against the offensive line in Oakland. That's looked pretty good thus far. Uh, they did have a rough night in Washington, but I think they'll they'll bounce back here. But Trying to stop Von Miller, good luck with that. I'm glad that's not my job. Well, and he doesn't have a – I think he only has three sacks through three weeks. But I'll tell you what, when you watch a film page, he's getting it done in a lot of other ways. Because he gets so much block and attention, I mean, you're talking about double teams, triple teams. He forces backs and tight ends to help out the tackles because the Oakland tackles, as good as they are, they can't block him one-on-one. -on -one. So when you take their backs and tight end out of the passing game, that hurts Derek Carr. And the last thing that the Raiders want to do is keep their tight end cook in the block and not be out on route. So I think Miller has a, a quiet, even if he's not getting a lot of sacks, he's disruptive in other ways. Absolutely. Now we look at the other side of the football, uh, the, the other defense here, the X-Factor. Oakland defensive end Khalil Mack, another guy who 
just love watch him play football because he's because he's receiving so many double teams, but he's so athletic. He still manages to get to the quarterback. What do you see from him? Well, and it's a lot of what we talked about with Miller. He gets a lot of double teams, triple teams, but his motor is so elite. You know, he never quits on a play, and he really comes hard. And now he has a new strip sack move, which is is, is really been impressive. I think he faces two tackles at Denver that he have, can have success with. Uh, Bowles and Watson, neither one of those guys are elite in pass pro. And this could be a little bit of a breakout game for him, although they'll probably, the Broncos will probably have to give the tackles some help. But I remember last year that Mack was a guy that got his sacks in bunches. When he faced an offensive tackle that wasn't very good, he seemed to dominate. And we could see a four or five sack week, I think, against either one of these tackles. But obviously Denver knows that, and they're going to have to game plan against him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, lastly, your fantasy football sleeper, my boy, Oakland tight end, Jared Cook. I have him in one of my fantasy football leagues, and uh, this is music to my ears if he has a good week. Yeah, and this has been a, a forgotten position in this passing game page. They've looked for a guy that could help in the passing game, but they haven't had one for years. You know, and obviously they like him because he was on the field for 43 of their 51 snaps last week. And even though their outside guys are dropping a lot of passes, they still have, you know, so much on the edges that he gets good matchups inside. And I think Cook can really have success versus linebackers or corners. And I believe that his, uh, his, his production will continue. And also, let me say this, Denver is a pass defense that is really, really good in man coverages, but for some reason they don't play tight ends very well, especially inside. So look for him to work the middle versus the safeties. All right, the last matchup here, the Washington Redskins coming off a huge win uh, on Sunday night football. They look like a really good football team going to Kansas City, as we've discussed, one of the toughest places to play Arrowhead Stadium on Monday night football. I think this is going to be a really, really good one. I do, too, and I, I think, Paige, this shapes up as maybe the game of the week, uh, you know, based on the way that Washington, you know, looked uh, last week, and we know what Kansas City is, so they're both close to being complete teams, but, you know, my three keys, I think Washington on defense of the Chiefs' new offensive versatility. I mean, there's, this is not the old Chiefs that we're used to seeing. The creative play calling, the the shovel pass is now a huge part of their offense. They can line up uh, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in the backfield. They'll run the zone read. They'll run the Jets sweep. And they're the most creative screen offense, I think, in the league. So at the very least, they force, force Washington to spend extra practice time preparing for plays that they may or may not see and then also Washington will have to make good in-game adjustments if the Chiefs throw at them this stuff that I think they will. Uh, secondly, I think Kirk Cousins has, to, Cousins has to play a smart game. We know that the Chiefs on both sides of the ball are smart. They don't beat themselves. They create turnovers. They don't turn the ball over. And the one thing that they love to do is go after quarterbacks that are sloppy. 
Cousins cannot afford to do that because they will exploit him. This needs to be a very efficient, mistake-free game uh, for Washington if they plan to stay in it. And then the third key, and and this is a, a little interesting to me, Kansas City needs to play the same way for 60 minutes. What I'm seeing is when they build the lead, you know, and, and they're really playing well with all of these new weapons they have, they seem to almost go to a conservative game plan and sit on that league. And really good opponents fight their ways back into the game, and then that forces the Chiefs to scramble late and make some big plays. So what I would like to see him do is for all four quarters, you know, keep the pressure on, uh, don't take your foot off the pedal uh, against Washington, and stay with all those creative looks and, and, and keep them back. I think the key matchup here, uh, as the rookie continues to perform well, Kareem Hunt, he's been a very explosive back. He's turned into the guy there uh, with Spencer Ware going down. Kareem Hunt has been the featured back, and we know Andy Reid likes to run the football. The only concern here with him is that he's going against the Washington front seven, but I think he continues to get it done because this guy, he just he's an explosive guy. He runs so well, and he's very, very, very fun to watch on film. Oh, no, he is. And he's getting it done with with more power than I thought he had, but he also has great elusiveness in space. His vision is really good for a young guy. I think where Washington could get in trouble here is Kansas City may have the best run game in the NFL in terms of uh, misdirection runs. You know, I think you'll see Hunt start one way, the offensive line seals off on the backside, he cuts back against the, the grain. We call it a one-cut-and-go run. And Washington could have a tendency to over-pursue, and if they get out of their lanes and don't have good back gap discipline, he could really hurt them on those backside cuts. Absolutely, absolutely. I completely agree. He's just He has been one of the guys I've been was really high on for fantasy purposes, and I'm glad – glad it turned out to be correct now the x factor in this game one of the best cornerbacks in all the football league that is marcus peters what do you expect from him in this game and and who is he going to be shadowing well it's interesting because they can use him in a couple of ways we know maybe he's the best cover corner in the nfl and he can take your best receiver out of the game and sometimes they allow him to do that you know last week it was keenan allen from uh, from the chargers he shattered him all over the field. He basically shut him down. But other times they keep him on the same side of the field because their feeling is, hey, he can take away half the field. He forces the opposing quarterback to only have a passing game that attacks one half of the field. And in this case, it's the other corner, Terrence Mitchell. And I think when I look at this game, I believe he'll stay on his side because maybe with the exception of Terrell Pryor, I don't know that Washington has that one elite receiver that, boy, we have to shut down. I think they have some good guys, some productive guys. And so I could see Peters saying, hey, nothing's coming to my side. Uh, You know, Kirk Cousins, if if you want to make passing plays, you're going to have to go on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fantasy focus here, Uh, Chris Thompson, who is – 
has been leading my fantasy football team to victory, Gary. This guy, I, I absolutely love. How did love. you pick up this guy? That's, nobody, a lot of people didn't know about this guy. Here's the thing that I do with my fantasy football team, Gary. I do extra work on the following the beat reporters to pay attention to who is getting a lot of snaps yeah. during the preseason. And Chris Thompson was a guy that we're featuring in a lot of ways. And I thought, you know what? Kirk Cousins isn't going to be able to go to these wide receivers yet. He doesn't know them there. There isn't a rapport. He's been around for a little while. Chris Thompson, Rob Kelly, I was kind of injury prone. I was like, okay. So I put him, I stashed him, I put him on my bench. Sure enough, Rob Kelly gets injured. Samaje Pirine fumbles and Jay Gruden's pissed, so he won't put him back in. And Chris Thompson becomes the guy. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I am gloating here, but I feel pretty good about this pickup. Yeah, that, they have to be careful if they don't overwork him because he's not a really big guy. They don't want to run him a lot between the tackles. But for Kirk Cousins, he's a dream as an outlet receiver. You can either run him out of the backfield, you can split him wide, and I think he'll be an excellent, excellent third-down guy in this offense. And they'll now, I believe, find more ways to use him. So. I agree with the page. I think his production is going going to continue because he feels a role that they didn't have. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to watch him. As if, the thing with him is that he only has like six receptions, but it's 150 yards. So I think if they if they do make sure that they keep him kind of in in the role that he's in right now, where he's more of that receiving back than he is necessarily an actual running back. And Rob Kelly comes back and they have him running the football in the traditional sense. His fantasy value stays there because he's not being utilized. Uh, P. Ryan and Kelly are doing the, the, the dirty work. And Chris Thompson's the guy who's receiving all the benefit, the benefit from there. So I'm, I'm continuing to plug and play him in my lineup until otherwise. Well, good for you. That's a great pickup. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that one, Gary. But uh, any parting thoughts as we're, uh, we're done for the week and we, we head on to week four, where, where I'm hoping I learn what's going on, but I'm not really, I'm not really thinking that I'm going to know much more after this week as I did after week three. Well, I, I think the, the, the play in week three and week three, as we mentioned uh, earlier, was improved over the first two weeks. But I, I also think that the, the biggest takeaway I have as we do not yet know who these teams are. I mean, you get a handle one week and then you're totally fooled. And I don't know if the bad teams are better than we thought or if the good teams are worse than we thought. But hopefully another week we'll start to, uh, you know, uh, maybe sort this thing out. But I guess that's what makes it a great league is because you don't know what to expect from week to week. Yeah, it's it's been super fun to watch. I think week three in the NFL was one of the best weeks I can remember overall. A lot of close games, a lot of overtime games, lots of lots of fun overall. And the Bears got a victory. So my parting. Oh, how th- many? How, yeah, how many? The the last ten minutes. Oh, so game, good! How exciting! Was so that? so good, and it kicked things off with an unbelievable Thursday night football game that just turned into yeah, a shootout. Oh yeah, and I I do the Red Zone Channel, and that. For maybe 30 minutes there, as we're going around to all the different stadiums in the games. The finishes were absolutely off the charts. Oh, it was it was a lot of fun. So I'm hoping that uh, I can start my week off correctly with a Thursday night football 
victory for the Bears where they upset the Packers, and my, oh, my, will will I be gloating on Monday morning if that happens. So uh, we'll see. Maybe you don't want that to happen because I'll probably be the go divert to the obnoxious Chicagoan that I am, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. No, I, I would love to see you gloat. <laughs> So <laughs> Thanks, maybe that's Gary. That's what I hope for. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Well, uh, you can follow Gary Horton at Gary Horton NFL on Twitter. Find all of his stuff. He's got observations. He's got uh, complete matchups throughout the NFL, so you can get the X's and O's on everything that's going on, and you can get the written portion of this podcast. You can follow me at the underscore sports page with an I and get all my live tweets and reactions to every football game because. Man, sometimes I'm uh, I'm so much like my dad. Uh, well, that's the uh, parting thoughts there for Gary Horton. I'm Paige Demacos. Thanks for joining us.